Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Welcome back to BFR Radio. Recently, I was having a discussion with a colleague around the use of BFR and attenuating muscle loss around injuries and cast immobilization. And it perhaps realized that I haven't done much in respect to podcasting or different resources on my website, which made me then come to this article, which is called The Prevention of Disuse Muscular Weakness by Restriction of Blood Flow. And this comes out of the University of Juntendo in Tokyo, Japan. This is actually a really interesting study where they wanted to compare the effects of periodic restriction of blood flow to lower extremities with those of isometric exercise on disuse muscular atrophy and weakness induced by immobilization and unloading. Now, In this study here, it's really interesting. What they did is they took the left ankle of each of 15 healthy males and they immobilized it for two weeks using a cast. And then the subjects were instructed to walk using crutches that was non-weight bearing during this period. Now, as we all know, when we have athletes that are in a cast or they're immobilized for long periods of time, they lose their muscles really quickly. This is a great example of how BFR can be used to try and attenuate this muscle loss. And in respect to this study, they actually wanted to look at the role of measuring muscle strength of knee extensor flexor muscles, ankle plantar flexor muscles, and also circumferences of the lower extremities. As I mentioned here, they chose 15 healthy males and immobilized the left ankle in a cast. And in this protocol, they compared the effects of blood flow restriction and muscle training on muscular atrophy or weakness. In each subject, they measured the muscle strength and circumference of the lower extremities. To determine the changes in the volume of the thigh and the leg muscles, they measured the circumference of the thigh region at several points above the border of the patella and the maximum circumference of the leg using a tape. From these 15 subjects, they were divided at random into three different groups. The first one was where they received repetitive blood flow restriction or ischemic preconditioning is another way that we've actually been spoken about. The second group were subjects who underwent isometric training and the third group were subjects who did nothing at all. During the two-week immobilization period in the BFR group, the subjects wore a tourniquet which was 77 millimeters wide. They used an arbitrary pressure of 200 mils of mercury and they actually found that although it was one given pressure for the whole group of subjects, they found that it was enough pressure to induce blood flow restriction that it did not induce complete vascular occlusion, which is obviously quite important when we're giving BFR to our clients or athletes that we train. In respect to the protocol, they used a compression-decompression protocol of five minutes on, three minutes off, and it was repeated five times in a single session. And each subject underwent two sessions per day, morning and afternoon, for 14 days in a row. In this, none of the subjects complained of muscle bruising, muscle soreness, or nerve tingling during or after application of compression, so a really big tick. The second group was an isometric training group, and in this they performed 20 repetitions of a 5 second isometric contraction and 5 seconds of rest. And in this they performed 3 exercises, 
One was a knee extension, the other one was a knee flexion, and the third one was an ankle plantar flexion exercise. And this was once again performed twice daily for two weeks. And then at the end of the two-week period, for all the subjects, muscle strength and circumferences were measured again. In respect to the measurement of muscle strength, the knee extensor flexor torque was measured under isokinetic and isometric contractions, and the ankle plantar flexor torques were under isokinetic contractions, and this was measured in a Biodex system. In this, the peak torque of all determinants was used as an index of muscle strength. When the subjects performed these actions around the knee joints, they performed them three or five times at angular speeds of 60, 180, and 300 degrees of seconds under concentric contraction and under eccentric contraction movements. Once again here, the 60 degrees is quite slow and hard, so that's 60 degrees per second versus something which is a lot faster at 300 degrees per second, which is a lot quicker. In respect to the testing, the subjects performed this extension or flexion of the knee joints for five seconds with a 10 second break between the knee extension and flexion. In respect to measuring the ankle plantar flexion torque, the subjects extended and flexed the ankle joint three times at different contraction speeds than the knee extension flexion, and this was done at 60 and 120 degrees per second. So something slightly different than knee extension flexion, because as you can imagine, it's a smaller joint, smaller muscles, so we need to change the speeds accordingly. Just summarizing quickly here, three groups. The control group did nothing. We have a BFR group which sat there and all they did was that they inflated the cuff and deflated the cuff for five minutes on, three minutes off, five times through, twice daily for 14 days. And then you had an isometric training group which performed knee extension flexion and also plantar flexion around the ankle joint at different speeds, twice daily. Moving on to the results, in respect to knee extension and flexor muscle strength, the muscle strength decreased significantly in the control group, which we thought would happen, and tended to decrease in the isometric training group after the protocol, whereas using passive BFR significantly protected against such changes in muscle strength of both the knee extensor and flexor muscles. The percentage changes in the knee extensor torques after the eccentric movement at 180 degrees per second in the BFR group were significantly smaller than those in the control group. When we look at the percentage changes in the control group and also in the isometric training group, we were seeing between 20 to 25% decrement in strength measurements. Whereas when you look at the BFR group, these subjects were getting anywhere between less than 1% to 5% decrement in strength across all different movements around knee extension flexion at both eccentric and concentric. So quite amazing that just by sitting there, you have very minimal change in this knee extension flexion strength around the knee joint, whereas performing an isometric training movement, which you would think would maintain some sort of strength, actually showed quite a large decrement in strength, similar to actually the control group, which did nothing in some cases. With respect to the ankle plantar flexor muscle strength, the muscle strength decreased significantly in both control and the isometric training groups after the protocol, while the BFR protected against such changes in muscle strength. With respect to the ankle plantar flexor muscle strength, the muscle strength decreased significantly in both the control and the isometric training groups after the protocol, whereas in the BFR protocol, this protected against such changes in muscle strength. With respect to thigh and leg circumferences, in the control group, there were significant changes 
at all three measurements, and this was at 10 centimeters and 15 centimeters above the upper board of the patella, and also in respect to the maximum less circumference. In the isometric training group, there was a small decrement in the maximum leg circumference, but no real change in the other two measurements at 10 and 15 centimeters above the upper border of the patella. With respect to the BFR group, there was actually no difference in thigh circumference at all three measurements. Once again here showing that not only did the use of BFR help protect against loss in strength, but it also helped protect against loss in muscle size and circumference. Here we see a really good finding of this present study that we're using repeated BFR restriction used passively during a two-week immobilization and non-weight-bearing period prevented muscle loss and also stopped any decrement in that thigh and leg circumference. And these effects of BFR to the lower extremities were better than those achieved by isometric training. In the study, they actually investigated serum growth hormone concentration changes to actually see if that was one of the drivers of the mechanisms and there was actually no significant change here. However, when I was actually reading the article, they took it as a pre and a post measurement and sometimes I wonder that the changes in hormones are quite acute and that perhaps by using BFR, if they would have measured it in and around those sessions, they may actually have seen an acute change but obviously not a longitudinal change. And this acute change in hormones is still quite an important driver. So perhaps a lost opportunity in respect to this study. But nonetheless, I think the effects of using BFR passively in respect to something as this is not only simple, but actually in respect to this study has shown to be immensely beneficial to the athlete and the subjects. Some of the other points that they put into their discussion was around the hypothesis that the intramuscular metabolic changes may have prevented the muscle atrophy induced by the chronic unloading. On the other hand, they also mentioned that recent studies have reported the effect of BFR on muscle hypertrophy depends on muscle fiber composition and that muscle atrophy is dependent on muscle fiber composition. Another point here was around the isometric training protocol that they use and they thought that potentially the discrepancy that they may have found might have been explained by their protocol being milder than those used in previous studies, which actually shown to perhaps prevent more of a loss in that strength and in the muscle size as well. So although they weren't able to clarify the underlying mechanisms on attenuating muscle loss and strength using passive BFR in the study, I think what they've done is they've highlighted how such a simple protocol can be used for anyone out there Obviously, small adaptations to this in terms of your own protocol is to ensure that you're using a pressure which is relevant to the subject you're using. Obviously, limb circumference is the major driving factor in this. A bigger limb would require a greater pressure than a smaller limb. And then also, look, I found in my own work, although it hasn't been done in a peer-reviewed study, that protocols of three minutes on and one minute off in respect to that ischemic preconditioning type protocol it has actually been finding to be working quite well. However, that still needs validation. But in my own BFR work, I know that a lot of people out there don't have that amount of time to be able to put something to this. So a three minute on, one minute off, three to five times through twice daily is something more achievable. However, if you have a client that may be immobilized and doing nothing, it's not going to hurt them to go that little bit longer. So that's five minutes on, three minutes off five times through. 
I hope you really enjoyed that. I hope it gives you another insight into the great way of using BFR. There's actually a really good study around using this in ACL reconstruction. So I'm actually going to review that in the next episode of BFR Radio. Thanks for joining in. If you do have any questions around this or any other studies or concepts using BFR, please let me know. And we're now going to go on to how you do BFR to find out how other people are using BFR in their own practice. Welcome back to How You Do BFR. And today I've got Johnny Vincenti, strength and conditioning coach based out of Perth, Western Australia. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so Johnny and I, we've been in contact with each other for probably about 12 months through social media with BFR being one of the things that's actually brought us together. And recently I was in Perth at uh, on state of origin duty and wanted to run a BFR workshop. And he was really kind to open up his doors to his facility. And from that there, we got to finally meet and, and get together. And so I thought it was only fitting that I bring him onto the podcast uh, to talk a little bit more to everyone else about all the, there's a few cool little things that he's been doing with BFR. So just to start off the session, if you could just give a little bit of brief history about yourself and then um, really start talking about your journey into the world of uh, blood flow restriction. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, look, I've, uh, I'm a bit of an old boy in the industry now, so I've been around for probably over 20 years. And just of, of more recent times, I've opened my own uh, facility in the private sector in Perth in Western Australia called V Athletic Strength and Performance. And we basically run programs from juniors and youths to all the way to elite level athletes. So uh, we have a range of athletes coming in and uh, it's really good to get the whole gamut of, uh, of athletes in there starting from scratch. So it's, uh, it's been a really great initiative and we've been really, really happy with the way that that's going. In addition to that, I'm also the head strength and conditioning coach at the Fremantle Roosters, who are the NRLWA team over here. We're the first grade team over here. Uh, we've also had some great success over the last few years. Uh, so this is my third full year with them. And uh, I've also worked with a few players before that as well. So been with the Roosters for a little while now. And in addition, I've, uh, I'm also with a junior footy academy over here called West Star Football Academy. So there's always something to do, always busy. Yeah, that's right. And as we alluded to, this is uh, this segment's on blood flow restriction. And there's a few little stories that you've got here and how you've used it. So probably just tell everyone how you first got into BFR. And I guess those first few cases that rolled on from that point. Yeah, no problem at all. Look, I think like everyone, I, I probably uh, read some research and some and some early papers about it. I wasn't sure if it was going to stick or if it was just a gimmick. And as the time went on, I was obviously some some really great research coming out and showing some really really good benefits of it. Uh, I wasn't a hundred percent sure still because uh, there's so much that you read. Uh, but at an ASCA, so Australian Strength and Conditioning Conference, I was lucky enough to hear from uh, Brendan Scott, who uh, I've become pretty good friends with. He's done a mountain of research at Murdoch University over here in Perth, uh, and he did a great talk on blood flow restriction. So, you know, I've got a lot of that. Uh, I really took a lot of that on board. Since then, I also did a workshop, and that was held by uh, Michael Dobbin, who was um, uh, 2IC at Fremantle Dockers at the time, and he's now in the NRL. And he just showed some some ways that they were utilising it in uh, high-performance sport. And I just thought, look, it's, it sounds just – it's just too much to, to not take this on board. So very, very – uh, luckily, I, uh, a good friend of mine, Gavin Pratt, who's doing some wonderful things over at the UFC in China at the moment, uh, he bought a, a set of blood flow restriction cuffs from yourself and he, he bought them into my gym at V Athletic and uh, I saw them straight away, ordered a set and uh, the rest is history from there. 
Now, I know in some of our prelim conversations, you spoke about you started initially working it just with knee wraps, uh, which we call practical BFR. Obviously, out there, everyone sees these really good cuffs, but we, we do know that this type of BFR works. And that was the initial stuff that you started doing with BFR. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. When I first heard it before I had my hands on, on some of the cuffs, I was able to just have some knee wraps, uh, try to get that, that RPE. Uh, it's, it's generally around that 7 out of 10. I did find that I was able to get some buy-in and I was able to get some, some reasonable results with it. Definitely the guys were like, look, my elbows are less creaky, my knees are less creaky. And, and sometimes that's all you need for that extra buy-in. Uh, but I was always, I always really were looking for a good set of cuffs so I knew what pressures I was actually putting in there and I could get some consistency with that. So once I was able to buy the cuffs, um, I was able to get some more consistent pressures, but uh, I had really good benefits with, with both ways to do it. I think that's what's important here is, is that irrespective of whether you go from the bottom of the type of product to top of the range with constant pressure, it all works. And I look at research and anything from 75 up to 220 mils of mercury is effective. And although we want to make sure that we're doing the best for our athletes or clients that, and we have that level of science behind it, I always take solace in that You know, if we're using slightly lower pressures or if we're doing something like a 7 out of 10, but it's still effective, I still think that's a really good take-home message for us as practitioners uh, you know, that we give on to the athletes we work with. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's why, as I say, the knee wraps really did work quite well. It's just with RPE, you've always got that. It's more in control of the athlete themselves and you can never always be 100% sure. I think we, uh, we get warriors and princesses out there and, and trust me, some of the boys are actually princesses. And, um, you know, if we say a 7 out of 10, they, they, they think it's a 10 out of 10 or, or vice versa. So you're never 100% sure and that's where the pressures help. But as you say, it, it all works. And I think that um, if we can get that buy and that's, that's what we're really looking at. Yeah, so true. And what I'm really interested in is is the stories that you've used them as a coach and, and a couple of different scenarios. So I'm just going to let you roll with here. Uh, how have you used it? And just tell a couple of little case studies if you can. Yeah, no problem at all. I think early in the piece, and I think what a lot of people probably use it for is they're load-compromised athletes, and that's kind of where I went first. So I had a, a pair of, uh, of rugby league players. Uh, one was from a rival team who I've done a lot of external work with, and one was from our Fremantle Roosters, uh, who both had uh, bicep tendon rupture injuries. And obviously, you know, in conjunction with uh, their surgeons, we were able to uh, facilitate some of their healing, and they were they were getting some really great responses from it, just from a, a point of view that they it just felt good good for them while they were doing it. So we got that in there. The surgeon, obviously, we want a holistic approach, so we needed to keep going back to them and making sure they were happy with their recovery. Everything was really on track as far as that goes, and um, you know now. A couple of years later or a year and a half later, those boys are both off playing wonderful rugby league. They were both in the WA state team this year. And interestingly enough, we played them on the weekend. We, we got the win over them, but um, they both were going hammer and tong at each other. So uh, it's great to see them, you know, going in with, uh, you know, no holds barred. And I think that's the take-home message is that irrespective of what tool we use, that we're here for the athlete and that we want to get them back on the field. And I think that's really great that you've been able to create a rehab program just to get them playing and go hammer and tong against each other. Just a little bit further on the, the biceps, can you just go through some of the programming, some of the exercise selections and reps and sets uh, just to get a, a feel for, you know, if anyone's out there that may have a, a biceps that you could, that how they could potentially implement it in their own training? Yeah, no problem at all, Chris. And I know this is probably something that, that we've spoken about at length before, but 
I think things don't have to be overcomplicated. So we kept things very, very simple. And in early stage rehab, it was simply things like doing simple hammer curls with a band. Okay. And as that got a little bit, uh, as that got better and they could handle more, we just changed the resistance of the band to a little bit harder. Once that got a little bit better, we were able to add maybe some, some extra weight with a dumbbell. And we just really kept it really simple with curling based exercises. As that got better, we really wanted to make sure that we were focusing and on the injured limb first as well. So it was a lot of unilateral work. And then once it all got better, we were able to work on some bilateral curls as well. Based on advice from you know, the surgeons and making sure that everything was in check. We then maybe advanced them after, you know, after a little while of, of that and adding some blood flow restriction on that and on those exercises into something uh, like a banded chill-up or pull-up. And then we were able to sort of get a little bit better with that as we went along and take the bands away. So again, there was nothing serious in there and there was certainly not, uh, we certainly weren't reinventing the wheel, but we were just adding that, that extra metabolic load that, that just helped these guys get that extra buy-in. Yeah, and when I talk to people about rehab programs, just as you exactly as you said it, I just say it's just like you're decreasing the mechanical stress, adding a little bit of metabolic stress and using that to actually work for you. You don't have to give them any special exercises. It's the same bicep curls, banded chin-ups, tricep extensions, leg press. There's nothing fancy there, but as you said, it just works. Uh, it's what we'd probably do if we didn't even have BFR. You know, it's just that natural progression, but you've just got this extra tool to use. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, just, you know, that ability to be able to add that extra metabolic load, you know, you can keep that load, uh, that, that the mechanical load that little bit lighter. And again, they, you know, the, the big benefit I've found is they say, oh, straight away, it's a little bit less creaky in the elbows or a little bit less creaky in the knees. And sometimes that's enough to get the extra buy-in. And then they're getting the added benefits from having that uh, that extra metabolic load on. Uh, that's true. And I think also that point there is that when you're injured, you don't want to train. Everything just doesn't feel great. If you feel good, you want to do something. And that's, as you said, that's the buy-in. That's being able to get them to do something and feel like they want to train. And that's when you get the adaptation. That's really good. Rehab, you've covered that. I know we spoke about previously about some stuff in more that performance aspect. I'd like to hear a little bit more about what you did there. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things and, and you've sort of just touched on it there where you've said you, you want them feeling good and you want them to train. So one of the other areas that I've, you know, I've really found that it's been so beneficial is we have a very large range of, uh, of athletes in our team at the moment in the, in the Roosters. So our older players are kind of early to mid thirties and, and we have some younger guys that are sort of 18, 19. But I find with the older guys or the guys that are just getting beat up a lot, because let's, let's be honest, we're not just talking contact. We're talking a high collision sport. So when we're talking a high collision sport, particularly this time of the year, it's dark, it's cold. We sometimes just want to get these guys under the barbell and there might be times where it's simply, Hey guys, you know, these are guys that in a, prof uh, in a professional setting, it's a little different, but we're talking about semi-professional athletes and they might be working 60 hours a week on the shovel as well. So there's a lot of extra load they're putting on their body. They come in and they just don't want to train. So while I know that it's really important to understand that load is king, we have to sometimes at times of the year, we may need to find other avenues and other ways to, to just get them under the barbell. So I've found by saying, guys, come on in. We're going to lower your loads to, you know, about 70%, but we're going to add our blood flow restriction. We've had some great, as again, it takes some, some uh, creakiness and grumbiness out of the knees or elbows. And we've had some fantastic results of just getting them under the bar and getting them training and getting them to feel good. 
And look, let's be honest, 70% of 1RM is nothing to sneeze at either. It's, you know, when you look at what's the minimal load that we traditionally need in a heavy lifting scenario, it's usually around that 70% of 1RM. So, you're ticking those boxes. But as you said, you're just decreasing that little bit of axial load. I'm assuming you're squatting with them and they're able to just want to lift. And that's, you know, one of the most important things. We want them to be, they're not always going to be excited all the time about doing the workouts, but they we do want them to be able to tick those boxes and be happy doing that. And sometimes something like adding that blood flow restriction is just the, the catalyst to actually make that happen. So, we, you know, we do our best, but um, it's just a, another uh, little avenue that we can use to help these guys get under the bar. So in terms of that performance scenario, what type of exercises are they, that are you doing? And I guess, do your reps change at all? Uh, not really, although, um, you know, obviously, traditionally, you'll hear a lot of people talk about blood flow restriction, and they'll often talk about high repetitions. We still can keep those reps a bit lower. So I have experimented quite a bit with that. And um, because I want to get quite a bit of bang for our buck. So I've found that actually really, really beneficial as well. But when we're talking exercises, once again, nothing that's reinventing the wheel. We're doing our squats. Some of the guys will be doing things like power cleans as well. But absolutely our lunges, all of our basic, uh, you know, compound exercises, we're just ticking the boxes and making sure that we're getting through all of those. So with BFR, I'm sure squatting, lunging, step ups, Mm -hmm. do you do any uh, supersetting with that on? At all? Yeah, abs- absolutely, Chris. We uh, we we like uh, uh, I do quite a bit of contrast training with it as well. So we've used it a lot with our contrast training elements. It might be something simple, exercises wise, uh, something like a, a squat and a uh, counter movement jump. But we're getting a lot of focus through that. We're keeping the blood flow restriction on all the time. Uh, we take it off a little bit between sets for some that are a bit more uninitiated. But for those that um, can handle it, we'll keep the blood flow restriction on and uh, we'll do that all the way through our sets. So um, we're getting some really, really good value and bang for our buck with whether it be supersetting or uh, or contrast training elements. Yeah, that's, that's good. It's really great to hear. I think, I think, as I say, with a lot of people I talk to on these podcasts is that they're seeing stuff in literature, they're having a thinking about it and they're going, how can I push that into my own craft and I guess more that pragmatical real world scenario and that's great. I, th- I think the more that we start thinking about how c- we can take it out of that 75 rep protocol and into an athletic performance aspect, I think the better off we're going to be actually. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think I've always said that I'm, I'm definitely a, uh, a coach first and an academic second, and I've got lots of friends that, that might be the reverse of that. So I like to experiment a little bit and see what is going to work and what isn't, because I think the practical setting is very, very different to uh, just a very controlled setting uh, in an academic environment. So we have to find out what's going to work for us in, in our own environment, and uh, that's really important. Yeah, for sure. Any other uses of BFR that you... You use with the athletes? Absolutely. One of the ones that that will probably came across, uh, not by accident, because there is obviously some good literature on uh, pre-ischemic conditioning, but uh, the guys don't know that as well. They just uh, they just say, look, if this works, can I do it? But you know, I've I've actually used it pre-game for some of our guys as well, and uh, one of that came, one of that uh, those examples came about. One of the boys used a little bit in the gym. He had some grumpy knees. He thought, "Oh, this this feels fantastic." Hey, how about can I try this in my warm up? And I said, "Look, absolutely." Once again, it was nothing fancy, not reinventing the wheel. We gave him some light squats, some light lunges, some leg swings, and stretching. Um, and he went out and had the game of his life. So now he's uh, he's just ready to use it before every game, and he just uh, he thinks that's the golden unicorn, if you will. So he absolutely loves it. And there's nothing wrong with golden unicorns. I'm oh, sure you're that. Not at all. 
Yeah. <laughs> and for those for those people listening, I'm not sure if I've spoken about pre-ischemic conditioning or ischemic preconditioning. It's kind of like, a bit like a passive potentiation where you put it on traditionally for five minutes on, five minutes off, four or five times through. And there seems to be a potentiating effect through speed, power, repeat, speed as well. And one thing that I definitely think is with athletes is intensity is also key, just as Johnny just said about load is key. I think intensity is key because most of these studies, as Johnny alluded to, is, is that they're good populations, but they're not elite populations. And, you know, when we're dealing with athletes who at that elite level, that's something that separates them from what we read in studies most of the time. And I think that's where intensity comes into play. So, you know, being able to say, well, rather than sitting there, let's do something that's active and get them moving with that level of intensity. I think that works quite well. And it's a nice extrapolation of what you've read and what athletes have experienced and finding out what the athlete likes. I think that's probably another important point there. Yeah, I think that's probably a really important point, particularly in our setting. It's uh, one of those things that's taken off a little bit. So a, a couple of the guys have gone, oh, wow, what's going on over there? Can I try that too? And they've also, you know, like to use it from week to week. But it's certainly not something I force on the athletes either because everyone's got different things that get them up and about before games. And I don't want to mess too much with that. If it's listening to music or, or bands or throwing a ball or a hacky sack around, that's fine. But I want to make sure that they get up and about the best way that they can. So the guys that are really bought into it, I'm more than happy to have it for them. But I certainly don't force it on our athletes because because it becomes about communication and about our athletes. Yeah, that's for sure. That's jam-packed. That's three big ones, rehab, performance, and competition readiness. Yeah. I think you really covered some good aspects there. As we're getting close to the to the end of the podcast, what else are you doing? Obviously, I know I follow you a little bit through Facebook, and you've got some cool programs running at the moment. So irrespective of whether you live in Perth or not, what's going on? What else is on the horizon for you? At the moment, I'm running a youth academy, which has been really great. We had a fantastic response from that. Um, and we're just running it in line with the 10-week school term. And it's really about education for both the children and the parents into why strength training uh, is beneficial. Also, probably going over some of the myths and misconceptions that, that come about, thinking things like, you know, training too early was stunt your growth and, and all of those sort of myths and fads that come up there and really try to give them a great foundation for success if they uh, if they want to go a little bit further on. So we've put a really good 10-week program together and uh, the response has just been fantastic. So uh, that's been something that's uh, taken up a bit of time at the moment and, and has been really, uh, really beneficial. And towards uh, we're getting towards the pointy end of the, the rugby league season. We've been very, very fortunate to have some really great success over the last two years or the last four years. We've won three out of four and we have gone back to back over the last two. So we are trying to three-peat. So we're sitting second on the ladder. We're in the ballpark and we're doing well. But um, as everybody knows, it comes down to a lot of hard work and, and a lot of luck. So we've still got a bit of hard work to do. And everything uh, else is going along pretty swimmingly. Nice. Very busy man by the sounds of it. And if anyone wants to get a hold of you through email or social media, what's uh, your contact details? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a few. I'm actually going okay social media wise for an old boy, so uh, you can you could definitely find me on there. But probably one of the first is email. I'll always endeavour to get back to you. So if anyone ever wants to drop me a line just to have a chat or uh, or find out what we're doing, or even come down to the facility if you're in Perth, uh, my email is uh, Johnny V J O N Y V zero three at yahoo.com.au. Uh, my Facebook handle is uh, V Athletic Strength and Performance, uh, and my Instagram handle is also VA Strength and Performance, so they're very similar. Uh, I'm also on Twitter occasionally, and you should just find me under my name at Johnny Vincenti. They're pretty much all the, the best avenues, and um, 
as I said, if you uh, if you do get in touch, I'll get back to you as soon as I can and, and help out with what I can. Yeah, and, and that's what I found as well, Johnny. That's what I love about Chiz is that, you know, very personable bloke. You know, you did lots for me when I was over in Perth and um, happy to extend if you're ever over this way again. So thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. You're in between your morning and afternoon shift, so I'm going to let you get back to it and um, we'll be in contact in the future and I'll obviously put all your details up through my socials as well. So thank you very much for your time. Truly appreciate it. Mate, I really appreciate uh, being on here and it's a, an absolutely fantastic podcast that you're running and you're doing some amazing things. So by all means, keep that up and um, and it was my pleasure to open the facility and have you in for the workshop. So anytime uh, I can do anything, really appreciate it, mate. Thank you, Matt. Cheers. Pleasure. And that's all today for this episode of BFR Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to take part in the podcast, please contact me through my website or on social media channels at Chris Cavillio. For more information and to order a set of your own BFR cuffs, please visit my website at sportsrehab.com.au. Thanks for listening and keep the pump. (laughs) 